0: To subscribe, just click Try Free at the top of the Death, Sex, and Money show page on Apple Podcasts, or visit slate.com slash dsmplus to get access wherever you listen. Thanks.
1: You have to take this situation and turn tragedy into triumph. Otherwise, your life will be hell.
0: This is Death, Sex, and Money.
1: Prepare to die.
0: The show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot.
1: Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have sex standing up.
0: And need to talk about more.
1: God, kid it's not about the money.
0: I'm Anna Sale.
1: T-minus 20 seconds and counting.
0: On January 16, 2003, the space shuttle Columbia launched from Kennedy Space Center in Cape Canaveral, Florida.
1: 11, 10, 9.
0: Dr. Jonathan Clark was there, watching the shuttle take off with his eight-year-old son Ian. His wife, Dr. Laurel Clark, was one of the seven astronauts on board.
1: I don't think it's good for a spouse to say you should go do this. Houston, now controlling the flight of Columbia, the International Research. I think it's more important to say. Whatever you decide to follow your dream to the stars, I will do everything I can to be there for you.
0: Sixteen days later, the Columbia Space Shuttle broke apart upon re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere. All seven astronauts on board were killed. That was 12 and a half years ago. Jonathan Clark is a scientist, a doctor, a Navy veteran. So he's been trained to analyze problems and to respond with cool distance.
1: I take everything and I dissect it down into all of its component dangers and hazards and then say, okay, boom, this is how we deal with this, this, and this.
0: Laurel was also a doctor in the Navy. They met when they were training together for diving emergencies.
1: We didn't really start dating till after dive school, just because you know first of all we were busy and it was very physically demanding and you really didn't have time to go you know out on dates and stuff but <laughs> we had planned on you know just as friends to go on some dive trips in the Caribbean and because um, we both had a like a passion for scuba diving she she and I both had this uh, interest in extreme environments
0: they also both joined the military for the same reason to pay for college. John's father had been in the Army. His family moved around a lot when he was a kid.
1: I had six first grades. I moved every year of high school. Um, six
0: first grades?
1: Yeah. I mean, wow. you know, basically, you're there for whatever time. my dad. Usually that was something my dad was in training. And uh, it wasn't towards actually after I was in college that he quit doing that to our family. Maybe they saw how rebellious and... Um, wild uh, rebel person i was because of the fact that i just never seemed to have any continuity basically you had what you had you know in your little suitcase and i you know you you never learned to have anything but what you you could carry and so you learn to be live a very transient uh, life
0: John and Laurel's Navy careers landed them on different continents. He served in the Persian Gulf War. She was sent to a submarine squadron in Scotland. But they stayed together. They got married in their 30s and settled in Florida. Then John volunteered for a training session for space shuttle emergencies. Laurel wanted to join him.
1: She goes, well, I can take off time. I want to come with you. And she was just basically hanging around watching everything that was happening. And as we're getting ready for that exercise the last day, they they would put uh, casualties in the shuttle. They had a shuttle mock-up they put out in the swamp, and they didn't have enough casualties. And so somebody said, hey, we need an extra person to get in the suit. And, you know, she goes, well, shoot, I'll do that, you know. And so she got to put on the shuttle escape suit, and they put her in, inside the this mock-up with, along with the other casualties. And then she actually wrote this really, really uh, unbelievably good report on what it was like from a casualty's perspective. Wow. And afterwards, we're flying back. <laughs> kind of, you know, eerie, but she goes, this is what I want to do. So um, that was what she, when she decided she wanted to be, to be an astronaut.
0: How much have you thought back on that story of her you know, she joins you as a, an emergency shuttle rescue and she volunteers to be a casualty. How much have you thought back on that?
1: A lot. I mean, I think that if she hadn't had that exposure, she would have never even put that in her, her list of things she might want to consider because it just seemed like so foreign. Once that uh, idea crossed her mind, it was like, well, this is what I want to do.
0: Laurel applied to NASA, and around the same time, she got pregnant. How did you decide to become parents?
1: Well, I think that was probably her driver. I mean, I'm like, you know, I, I like fun and adventure, and I'm like, diapers and kids are probably not my top priority. <laughs> Don't sound priority. like fun and
0: adventure to you. <laughs> well, I mean, you
1: know, they are. and I I guess women have this kind of innate gene that says they want to have kids, and I'm like... Okay, fine, you know. (laughs) But it wasn't like something I was like kicking and screaming to do. It was definitely her. her, She was the driver on that. Um, They're a lot of work.
0: Yeah. And and from what I understand, she was eight months pregnant when she decided to apply to be in the astronaut program.
1: Oh, that was comical. She went for her NASA interview and she's like grotesquely pregnant. (laughs)
0: not just very pregnant grotesquely. Well, I mean, you know, very obvious. <laughs> yeah.
1: And and she said, "Well, it was great cuz she didn't have to do any of the medical tests <laughs> cuz they do all these tests, you know, which probe you and stick things in you and, and you know, they could, she she could do some of them, but she couldn't do anything that involved x-rays or anything." And then Ian our son was born in October several months later.
0: The Columbia shuttle mission was her first into space. W- what did you talk about together when you knew she was going?
1: Well, um, I was assigned to NASA because the Navy had an obligation to co-locate us. Because of my, you know, interest in things related to uh, extreme environments, I did an, a, you know, a fairly in-depth analysis of shuttle and spaceflight risk, and it. Didn't really jive with the, the the standard NASA. Oh, this is really pretty, you know, safe or whatever. And, when
0: did you do that analysis?
1: Oh, I did it probably maybe a year or so before her her flight. You know, and she saw it. She goes, "Well, if it's this bad, why didn't NASA talk to me about it?" And I said, "Well, I mean, I'm not. These these aren't these aren't negotiable things." And I also. Talk to her family, and they were just saying, "Oh my God!" I, you know, we at the time they just thought I was being negative, and I'm saying, "I'm not." I mean, these are—it's not like I'm being negative. These things really happen. These bad things really happen.
0: So you were, you were in the position of, of wanting to be a supportive spouse while also having put together data that showed that. A shuttle mission is more dangerous than what NASA tells us. astronauts. Well, I mean,
1: actually flying anything in space is dangerous. I mean, the fact is that you're going real fast. You've got a lot of, you know, energy uh, in the form of chemical potential energy and speed and altitude and all those things. And those things don't just, you know, you can't just magically will them away. You have to deal with them. You need to know the risk. You need, you know, it's essentially what is now come out as informed consent. If you're going to do this, you need to understand what the risk is.
0: Does it feel comforting that Laurel understood the level of risk and still said yes?
1: Well, I would have expected nothing less than her. I think that's just the way people are. It's like, you know, I have a 99% chance of surviving. You take that and you go, yeah, I can deal with that. Columbia currently targeted toward a landing on Kennedy Space Center Runway 33, end of the Shuttle Landing Facility Runway.
0: What do you remember about February 1st, 2003?
1: Oh, I remember everything. Um, you know, it was an early morning landing, 9 a.m. in Florida time. We were we were at the land, it's called the Shuttle Landing Facility. It's like a 15,000 foot runway right near the launch site. Aboard the shuttle on the flight deck, our Commander Rick Husband and Pilot Willie McCool, Flight Engineer Kapana Chavla, and a uh, Mission Specialist Laurel Clark, on the lower deck of the shuttle... So we're in those. there's a stand there right at the midfield of, uh, you know, like a bleachers, and there's a countdown clock. The countdown clock is counting down, and then there was some radio chatter that was broadcast over the public address system. And Columbia, Houston, we see your tire pressure messages, and we did not copy your last. Roger, uh and it was very clear to me that that was not something you would ever hear unless something was awry. And I thought, wow, that's weird. They're having a problem with the tire pressure. Columbia, Houston, UHF comm check. Columbia, Houston, UHF comm check. And then um, we have family escorts, which are astronauts assigned to the each family member you know so we have these folks that are assigned there and all of a sudden you start seeing their cell phones going off and you see that just kinda of ashen white you know like stare you know that thousand yard stare they had this is mission control Houston flight controllers here in mission control have declared a contingency and then all of a sudden it was just like one of those Things you see after the, you know, like when Reagan was shot, where everybody's rushing to their, suburbans and throwing you in and z- zooming down the highway.
0: So you got thrown into a car.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. And we were driving on the wrong side of the road. We were on the, we were on the left side of the road, just hauling ass to the um, crew quarters, which was part of the sh- you know, part of the Kennedy Space Center area. And that's where we were supposed to meet them when they came back after we got to watch the shuttle land. So, um, you know, we're in there, and I, you know, because I work in there, I had a key to the flight surgeon's office, and I went in there, and I turned on the TV, and I saw the breakup over Dallas.
0: These pictures apparently coming into us from Texas.
1: It would appear a catastrophic incident having happened there in the skies over Texas. Once again,
0: NBC bureau chief... Wait, so you you find out from television.
1: Yeah. When yeah. you're
0: with the other families.
1: Well, the other families were in the room next door. Yeah. And then, you know, the head of Kennedy Space Center, who's a former astronaut, Bob Cabana, called us all in, you know, the families and the kids. And he he um he told everybody and there was this unbelievable wail from everybody. The, the women, the kids, you know, I just cried. But I but I mean, there was this, like, god-awful blood-curdling, screaming, yelling, crying, you know, but it's like, it's like an animal mortally wounded. It was horrible. I still remember that sound to this day.
0: Coming up, how John learned to be a single father while still grieving for Laurel.
1: It was really hard on Ian. He kept saying, you know, you're really bumming me out, and it's like, yeah, I'm sorry, you know. And so I basically tried to put him on the road and, you know, go see relatives or, you know, whoever, you know, and of course everybody that was involved grieved to their own extent. So um, I don't know that he ever had any normalcy after that.
0: A lot of you got in touch after our episode with the sex worker we called Emma, including other sex workers. Finally, an episode that pertained to sex workers. Um, Having just finished a client session myself, just a few thoughts of reflection. This listener, who asked that we call her Samantha, said she understood Emma's fear about coming forward. Like Emma, she's a mom, and she's married. She says she does sex work because she needs the extra income. I'm in a unique position that I have a professional full-time day job, and I continue to do sex work because I enjoy it. And to be frank, um, I need a way to make extra income to put away for my kids' college funds. Another listener named Susanna wrote in to say, I have been on the other side of this equation, the wife of a man who was one of her clients. She continued, I understand the isolation she feels on the playground. When all the other mommies are talking about how they wish that their husbands would look elsewhere for sex, I think, I wish mine would choose to have sex with me. Many of you sent notes for Emma. Everything from expressions of support to tips about how to finance her graduate education. We've sent those on to her. And some of you were frustrated that the episode didn't also mention that other sex workers enjoy the work they do. There are so many sex workers out there who would love to tell you how awesome their job is and how righteous they feel. A listener named Ruben wrote in from New Mexico. He continued, Sex work is at a very delicate moment in our country, and decriminalization of sex workers would create wonderful opportunities for thousands of women, men, and trans people to extricate themselves from the shadows. We listen to and read all of your responses. You can email us anytime at DeathSexMoney at WNYC.org. We also share what we hear back from you in our weekly newsletter. You can subscribe to it by going to our website, DeathSexMoney.org newsletter. Or we're trying a new thing. You can text the word newsletter to 69866, and we'll text you back to get you signed up then and there. Again, text the word newsletter to 69866. On the next episode, Yezzy Ortiz. She's the afternoon DJ at an L.A. hip-hop station, and she's raising her sister's six kids. She petitioned for custody after the kids were put in foster care. At the time, Yezzy was 24 years old. And here I am doing my testimony about what am I going to do? It's six birthdays. It's six dentist appointments. It's, you know, what do you do for a living? How much money do you make? I mean, you are just stripped down. This is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC. I'm Anna Sale. Within hours of the Space Shuttle Columbia's breakup, Jonathan Clark and his son Ian were put on a flight home back to Texas.
1: We were on this plane and flying back to uh, Houston. And so I'm sitting there thinking, I'm going to beat feet out of there. You know, I'm going to get my SUV. I'm going to take the dog. I'm going to put Ian in there, go to the bank and get as much cash as I can. And... And leave. I mean, like, off-the-grid leave. Disappear. And, I, and I, 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 if I could have done it, I would have done it. But as soon as we landed, they split Ian and I apart, and um, which which tore my plan to shreds.
0: It was NASA that did yes, that? Yes,
1: yes. My, uh, you know, a, a good friend of Laurel's, who's a Canadian astronaut, she took Ian. And I went, ended up going over to one, uh, one of the astronauts' house. You know, as a Navy guy, my response to something catastrophic is just drink a lot. So I got pretty drunk. And their plan, from what I gathered in talking to folks afterwards, was basically to just get me drunk as quickly as possible. I don't know how many hours later. I'm probably in some stupor, and they tuck me away and just get me through the night. You know, I don't remember much till the next morning. What'd you drink? Um, mostly, I think vodka. You know, heavy, heavy-duty liquor. You know, the reality is, dying is, an easy, is the easy part. When something bad happens, it's. It's you know you're going through it, and it happens, and then you either live or you die. I mean, and the irony of that as well is that we had been in a really bad plane crash a couple of weeks before her mission when we were flying to Albuquerque together. Our own plane, yeah. And and so uh, you know I I still have flashbacks about that. But what you remember is that you're working the problem, you're working the problem, and then it ends. You crash and you either live or you die. In this case, they died. Um, and, you know, it, you know, it's over. And the hard part, quite honestly, is is living. Whether it's living in the aftermath of having, you know, a lot of injuries to contend with, or living in the aftermath of having to uh, be a single parent taking care of a child who's grieving uh, for the loss of their mother, or whatever. That's the hard part.
0: When did you and your son have quiet time together as a family after the funeral services, after the burial? Well,
1: it was a long time. I mean, you know, um, the house was literally full of people. And everybody is grieving. It was just like this massive, cathartic. You just shed tears like heartbeats constantly just pouring, pouring, pouring out tears. And, and I remember like one day, maybe even the day afterwards or the next day, I just finally just go, I got to go to work. You know, I just drove into work. And I remember like it was like driving, but you're like a zombie. And I couldn't even remember it. I go to my office and I just sit there and then people are coming in and everybody's crying and everything. And it was just like, well, this isn't going to work. Um, you know, I, I was basically just trying to establish some kind of semi routine that I was familiar with that I yeah. could do.
0: Because you're a doer. You do yeah, things. I mean, I,
1: yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I have to do something. And so it was probably a couple, at least several days, maybe a week before I ever even had time uh, to be with Ian. And afterwards, um, our dog uh, and, and Ian and I all just slept in the bed together. And it was just like just some kind of shared comfort kind of feeling.
0: Ian is now an adult.
1: Yes, he's 20 years old.
0: I wonder, looking back over the time when you were a single parent, what was what was the hardest thing to learn how to do?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I'm kind of like a—I wasn't super involved as a parent. I had to kind of like the, let Laurel be the lead there because she was really into that. So you basically have to learn how to do stuff, you know, and um, like just domestic stuff, like everything. <laughs>
0: domestic stuff. Yeah, Yeah. I'm serious.
1: I mean, you know, like stuff that just would get taken care of, you know, like laundry and clothes. And, you know, I remember a joke because, you know, Ian was eight years old. He's growing. And uh, I took him to school. And I remember somebody said, oh, he's got capri pants on. And I go, what does that mean? And it was because he'd grown so much that his clothes didn't even fit him anymore. (laughs) They're like four (laughs) inches above his ankles. And it wasn't until somebody kind of mentioned that, Hey, you need to get your kids some clothes. I remember there was one really weird time where, um, you know, it just, I don't know why this sticks in my mind, but um, it was probably a month later and I was in the in a bedroom and I just, Ian was off, you know, in, nearby too. And I just kind of shouted, I said, Hey, Laura, where are my socks?
0: Hmm.
1: And we both looked at each other and started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like your brain goes into like some kind of autonomous self-preservation mode and it was just something that triggered that. Where the hell are my socks? And then I just shouted out, you know.
0: Laurel will oh. know. Yeah.
1: It happens, you know.
0: John kept working for NASA. The year after Laurel's death, he joined the team that closely studied the causes of the Columbia disaster, including how each astronaut died. Did anyone try to talk you out of joining the investigation? There were people
1: that thought it was not a good idea because I had a family connection, but my psychiatrist said, look, this is what he knows. I mean, there's probably nobody in our group that knows this better than he does. So I was going to do it.
0: Was it hard for you to be part of the investigation emotionally?
1: No, not really. I think I I think it was very cathartic for me. I mean, you know, you're you're looking at all these, you know, everything. I mean, the we went through the uh debris wreckage and reconstructed a lot of it. Even going through you're going through everybody's autopsies. But you also have to have this kind of higher calling that says this is a commitment to the future and to make sure that this works, we have to do this and who better to do it than somebody who's got a personal investment in it which i certainly did yeah you know and i've i've been exposed to a lot of death in my my career both in medicine and the military a lot of death a lot of death so you just get used to this i mean to be angry is is somewhat of a a negative emotional uh, experience and so what you have to do is you go it's about finding cause not fault or blame. In other words you know what is it that led to this that is a cause that you can affect or change or remediate the next time so it doesn't happen. As opposed to it's these bastards who are to blame. Now were there people that were, that that clearly had a role in their, you know in the loss of the shuttle and that could have done something and actually knew that the mission had a A severely compromised vehicle and didn't tell him sure but the point is that the way I deal with this is to is to try to make it better the next time in in the hopes that something good can come from something bad
0: do you think of yourself as a widower
1: well I'm not I don't like that I mean it's a weird term anyway Um, so I, I would say no. I'm not going to carry that around. I got married recently, and
0: you it, did. When did you get married?
1: Uh, in January.
0: How's that feel?
1: It was great.
0: Who did you marry?
1: I married somebody that's braver and you know more courageous than I am.
0: And what do you mean?
1: Well, I mean she. You know, if I've done it, she's done it. You know, better and she actually knew laurel i didn't she didn't tell me that till after we were married cuz she didn't want that to be a factor so she didn't tell me about this till just recently
0: how did you know you were ready to get married again
1: um actually i never thought i would ever get married again and i think it was one of those things where you just kind of go it's it's a weird story but her husband or fiance was killed in a plane crash a few weeks before laurel So we had this kind of like, what's it like to lose somebody publicly and everything. And then we've known each other for years. And just when it feels right, it feels right.
0: Dr. Jonathan Clark. After the Columbia investigation, he joined a team that researched parachuting from high in the stratosphere. He says he hopes their work will help save the lives of future astronauts. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC. The team includes Katie Bishop, Emily Boteen, James Ramsey, Destry Sibley, and Andrew Dunn. Thanks to Douglas Robertson for his help on this episode. The Reverend John DeLore and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. I'm on Twitter, at Anna Sale. The show is at DeathSexMoney. And also remember, text the word NEWSLETTER to 69866, and you'll start getting our weekly email updates. Is there anything you want to make sure you say that I didn't ask about?
1: I love being quiet, so if you're done, I'm done.
0: (laughs) I'm Anna Sale, and this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.